Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And I'd like to get my hands on whoever wrote this script. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? (laughs) We are on Muppet Treasure Island. A small break, as we mentioned last week, from the direct filmography order that we usually do because we want Christmas Carol to land over Christmas, and once we realized that time could work out, we decided to go for it. Muppet Treasure Island is a musical adventure film starring Jim Henson's Muppets, written by Jerry Jewell, directed by Brian Henson, and produced by Jim Henson Productions and the Walt Disney Company. Muppet Treasure Island premiered on February 16th, 1996, and stars the great Gonzo, Rizzo the Rat, Tim Curry, Kermit the Frog, and Kevin Bishop, among others. What is our uh, fan review this week? Our fan review this week comes from Google Audience Reviews. And it comes from Anahi Quintana, who says, Five stars. Kermit is hot in this one. It is funny and hot and cute. Uh, okay. I love that that's someone's top takeaway from from a Muppet movie. Five stars. Mark, I have more trouble believing somebody gave this movie five stars than thinking that Kermit was hot, honestly. So here's a thing. Uh, this is... Not my favorite Muppet movie, as I think we've talked about before. It's certainly not yours. But as the guy who generally combs through fan reviews to find fun comments, mm-hmm. most of the world seems to sort of like this one. Okay, so let's do a flashback <laughs> real quick, Mark. You remember when we were talking about Secret of the Ooze back in season one? Yep. The world is wrong. <laughs> the, world, the world's nostalgia baked around things that happened in the early 90s is very wrong. This is something I want to talk about as we get into the discussion, which is to say that the generation just slightly beneath us, uh-huh. and I'm not sure where you land. You have to tell me because you're just a couple of years younger than me. This may be one of those like age break points. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I regularly see comments on social media posts and on various internet forums that say the Muppets should get back to their roots and do another parody movie. And so for a lot of people, I realized like they grew up with Christmas Carol and Treasure Island as like their defining Muppet movies, Mm -hmm. which is very odd to me because to me, that's where they started. Like the Muppets have always done parody. Obviously Sesame Street does parody the Muppet show. Like parody is a big part of what they do, but in terms of like full on movies, I love Christmas Carol to death, but when they Uh broke into doing straight parody movies, to me is when they started kind of moving away from what they initially were. There is, and we've skipped a movie here, because uh, (laughs) as aforementioned, we wanted to save Christmas Carol for Christmas times, and Mm -hmm. when we looked at that schedule, and I was like, hey Mark, if we did all of these movies in order, it would end on christmas eve can we please just put christmas carol there can we yeah. please because why wouldn't you if you had that schedule lined up so um we have jumped order because of that because we saw that because we said synergy y'all we said let's do a good thing with a podcast for once shall we get into it yeah i do want to state up front y'all that i have a few biases going into this and that i'm that friend that doesn't like pirates and i've never liked pirates <laughs> pirates aren't my steez. Back in the like late '90s, early 2000s, internet culture war of ninja versus pirates, which we are all ashamed to have participated in such triviality. I was very much ninja, so like, yeah. So I have a bias going into this. Take everything that I say here. If you're one of those people who are like, man, I love pirates, and I I want to marry Johnny Depp in his pirate ass. Like, <laughs> cool. Um, I don't understand you, but you do you, I guess. I will balance you out a little on that front Uh because I do Uh enjoy pirates as a, like a fictional cultural milieu. Fancy pulling out the $2 words. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously this is nothing like what real pirates were. In fact, Uh this book I think is directly responsible for a lot of the pirate trappings that work their way into modern cultural awareness. Mm -hmm. So a couple of biases I'm carrying in and I'll touch on them very briefly so we can get into this movie. Sure. Treasure Island is one of the first chapter books I read beyond like every kid reads you know like your Beverly Clearies and that sort of thing but like one of the first from the older section of the library books right mm-hmm. when I was in kindergarten first grade the teacher gave me clearance to get like the big kid books yeah. Treasure Island is one of the first ones I read I still have my first copy of Treasure Island it's a book that I like a lot 
Okay, okay. Like many books of its era, especially books of its era written by Englishmen or uh, Americans, problematic in places. Absolutely. (laughs) But I do, so I'm carrying that in. I do like this book a lot. Uh And I saw this movie when I was, I guess I would have been 12, 13. I would have been 13 when I saw this movie in theaters. Okay, okay. I saw it in an actual, like, sit-down movie theater back in, mm-hmm. in a weird back-to-back, like, double-feature special. <laughs> what was the other movie? It was called, I believe, Man of the House? Okay, okay. I think. It was a Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. Incredible. <laughs> that is 100% the time we're working from. Yep. <laughs> Which, by the way, JTT would have made a better Jim Hawkins than what we got. Yep. But so what a rock. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let, we're bearing the lead. Let's get into the the actual podcast, I guess. Yeah. So we need to note as we get into it because we skipped Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Jim Henson passed away. What is now seven years ago when this movie is made. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Hunt similarly. So as we're getting into this movie, this is the first one that we're talking about that's not steered by Jim. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to get into that much. I think that's much more significant in Christmas Carol, and we can talk about the why of it when we review that movie. Seems more thematically appropriate. <laughs> I do think it merits noting that Jim Henson died, uh, Richard Hunt has passed as well, and Frank Oz was not involved with the making of this movie beyond looping his voices. A different puppeteer did Fozzie and Piggy and all of those. So the sort of main players have shifted very dramatically since the last movie we talked about. This movie opens on Gonzo and Rizzo, who we have established at this point as the new sort of standard bearers for the Muppets in the post-Jim Henson era. Yep. And their buddy, foster brother, it's a little unclear, their friend Jim. Uh-huh. Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. <laughs> they are all... Like serving boys at a local inn and diner. An original conception of this script had Gonzo and Rizzo playing two characters named Jim and Hawkins. Incredible. And I think we might have been better off with that. No no shade on the poor 12-year-old who's trying his best in this movie, but Jim Hawkins is an anchor around the neck of this stupid film. (laughs) Boy, Mark, the second this movie starts, they're like, what if we make this boy sing? And I do not like this boy's singing voice. Here's an interesting piece of trivia for you. Uh Uh-huh. The boy went through puberty between when he tried out and when he acted in the film. And Uh so that song is actually a loop of the recording of his tryouts, I believe, or an earlier rendition of him performing that song because he could no longer hit those notes by the time they were filming. Woof. Uh, Are we (laughs) sure that he could hit them at the time of recording? Well, that's debatable, yeah. (laughs) It's a very harsh... It's a faux falsetto. It's a faucetto. Yes. (laughs) I'm not here to dunk on some kid, but it's not. No, trying his best. Yeah, he's trying He, just a lot about Jim, and again, I'm going to be nice about it because he's a kid actor, but a lot Uh about Jim doesn't work for me in this movie. And when we get down to the I Can Fix This, we'll talk about that a little more. Sure. But we have Jim, Gonzo, and Rizzo, who are three pals who work at a kind of rundown sailor's retreat. It's an inn, it's a bit of a diner, it's, you know, one of those institutes. And also currently staying at this inn is Billy Bones, who is our anchor into the plot. He's our he's our story hook. He's one of them uh, Monty Pythons. He's one of them dead yes. Monty Pythons. <laughs> and Billy Bones is a in this film, a broadly comic character who is an ex-member of Long John Silver's crew and who still has the map to Long John Silver's treasure. So that's sort of our overarching plot for this movie, obviously. Long John Silver, one of the greatest pirates that ever lived within the context of this book's universe, buried a vast treasure on an island, killed most of his crew, and Billy Bones has a treasure map. So this movie, Treasure Island, is about following that map back to the treasure. But first, we got to get that map into Jim's hand. Yeah, it's not it's not Long John's treasure, though. It's the, the other man's treasure, what Long John served with, right? Yeah, yeah. Long John was also one of his men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to get the map into Jim's hand because 
the movie's just gonna sit here and spin its wheels if drunk old Billy Bones is the guy with the treasure map. Oh, is that what it's gonna do? (laughs) (laughs) I would honestly sort of be okay with just watching Billy Bones being a weird drunk pirate for a while. Yeah, honestly, I do wish we got a little bit more of that because (laughs) the second like that we get to like where he's not in the movie, you know, like 10 minutes in where they're like, Let's get this ableism going. Um, <laughs> it that's when the movie turns to oh 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 yeah this wasn't made in the nineties this is yep. this is what people thought was funny in the nineties. So that's a lot of which I didn't pick up on until years later. A lot of where this movie falls down is that it is very ableist, mm-hmm. especially in its comedy, and we're going to get there pretty literally right now via the character of Blind Pew. Yeah, 10 minutes in, and it's just like, let's go. This is where we are. This is the mid-90s. What's up, y'all? Yep. (laughs) And listen, the Muppets find their humor everywhere, and we've talked in some of the other movies. It's not like they haven't made some bad choices before. You know, (laughs) some of their humor stands up. Some of it definitely doesn't. But this movie spends a lot of time making fun of various handicaps, and that's just not a good look. Not a great look. And I'm sure there someone because this movie's so beloved, Mark. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if we get some messages that we need to lighten up or like what like I I feel like this is gonna be. I say this every now and then. I'm like, this is gonna be the episode where we get hate mail, but this <laughs> might actually be the one where we get hate mail. So, Blind Pew gives Billy Bones the black spot, which is treasure code for a death sentence. It's pirate like uh-huh. agreement. You, once you receive the black spot, your crew's going to kill you. Why do they not just show up and kill you first? I, I don't know. I guess the black spot is more dramatic. Gotta make them scared first. Dramatic right. Like, attention. Blind Pew has a gun. It seems like he could have just solved this problem in one step instead of three. Why not hand them the note and then while they're reading the note, shoot them? Right. Seems Seems real good. That seems like not only a more efficient way of dealing with people who you're trying to kill, but funnier. (laughs) So in the sort of intervening time between when the black spot is delivered and when the crew comes to kill Billy Bones, he passes on Captain Flint's treasure map to Jim and then has a heart attack. I don't know. It's. It is not well conveyed exactly why this person is dying. Fear, I think. (laughs) I think the idea is he died from fear. I guess. Maybe. He caught the black (laughs) spot. Who knows? Right, right. (laughs) But he does give it to Jim and he says, hey, no, all of my stories were real. Here is the actual map. Go make something of yourself, I guess. And he shares one important bit of information which is beware the one-legged man. Now, this is something I remember very explicitly from other adaptations and from reading the book. Long John Silver and one-legged man have the same number of syllables. Like, you're not saving any time there by saying the one-legged man. Why are you being vague? He could have just said, beware Long, Long John, John Silver. Silver. Right? Which is good advice regardless of what time you're hearing this podcast. <laughs> All right, so the pirates do come to attack, right? But Billy Bones is already dead, and the boys make good their escape with the help of Mrs. Bulveridge, I believe is her name. Sure. I don't even... I Yeah, sure. Who we haven't mentioned much, uh, but who is sort of a significant character for the opening scene of this film. Okay, I know how this is going to sound, Mark. Please don't take it this way. She's sure. kind of the Miss Piggy of the beginning of this movie. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And that she is does not... make a, a real good roast suckling potatoes joke that always gets uh-huh. me. Potatoes. Um... <laughs> now, listener, that we're f- six minutes in when, when the roast suckling potatoes joke make was is made, that may be the best joke in this movie. <laughs> that is the saddest thing and also maybe the truest thing we have said on podcast. <laughs> and this is where we get our first song, right? This is the something better is the name of this song. And it's just Gonzo, Rizzo, and Jim singing about, you know, having dreams, sailing off onto the sea, finding other islands, and so forth. 
Yes. And this is when you first realize that you're watching this film, like, oh boy, this kid's got himself some kind of singing voice. I do wish they went with just the Jim Hawkins, Gonzo and Rizzo thing. Although, although I did have an epiphany while we were talking earlier about this boy that. Okay. What if it was Elijah Wood? Ooh, now that's because interesting. Think about Elijah Wood circa 1996. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you could make that work. It, it would at least be better than what we got. <laughs> I don't yeah, even know if Elijah I, Wood I can sing. I just I just think he would be better than this boy. <laughs> I wonder I do wonder what happened to this boy. So I did I said something better was the first Lots musical. Of, okay, number. whoa, stop. Whoa, stop. Okay, okay. wait, yep. hold up. This is okay. Okay, this is the weird. This is weird. Um, in 2017, Bishop became the speaking voice for 2D fictional lead singer of British virtual band Gorillas. Oh wow, he's a Gorillas guy. Apparently, he's the voice of 2D now. And wow, like, that's incredible. That's super wild, huh? Man, I don't know. I'm stunned by that piece of information. I don't know what to do with that information. As was I, which is why I yelled for you to <laughs> shut up so I could get it in there. Uh, it's like, so that's where that boy went. He's Not good the for most him. That's abused. exciting. That's his biggest gig to date, I think, yeah. sadly. Um, it, gorillas are real good, audience. Gorillas they are, are. Fun. Gorillas are real fun. Man, good for you, Kevin. G- good job, Kev. <laughs> All right. You did it. So in his pre-Gorillas career, something better, <laughs> I said was the first song. It's not. I forgot that this movie opens with a song, Shiver My Timbers. Yes. Which is a very light, cliched, piratey song, but it's fun. It does its job. It's fine. Yeah. I will, perhaps I think something better is the place to lodge my biggest complaint about the soundtrack to this movie, which okay. is this is the only song short of the must-have Kermit Piggy love song. This is the only song where a major Muppet sings it, and even so, Jim is the lead of this song. None of the good Muppets are singing anything in this movie. Here's the thing. On paper, Mark, pirate shanties plus Muppets sounds like a fun time. Right? It should be. Like, it sounds like it would be real good. Unfortunately, we get this movie, and it doesn't pay off on that what is actually a pretty good premise because mm-hmm. yeah, that in my mind, that sounds like it would work really well. And I don't even like pirates. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it doesn't connect. I really struggle to figure out. And the only thing I can come up with is it's just, I mean, I love Jerry Jewell. Uh, <laughs> Kirk Thatcher also wrote on this one. It's just not a great script. It's just really not a great script. <clears throat> yeah. I saw that Jerry Jewell, was a writer and I was like, well, I'm sorry. I know that you can write better movies than this. Yep. <laughs> I do like chunks of this movie and I'll highlight the bits mm-hmm. that I like. And I generically enjoy watching the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will enjoy watching this film from time to time. It's the one I generally revisit the least, but here's the thing. The, the purpose of this podcast is to sort of put these things in order and establish some court sort of ranking and weight around them. Right. And when you're scaling Muppet movies, this, I mean, and we just watched three of the best. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> all right. So Jim, Gonzo and Rizzo have a treasure map, but they have no capacity for getting to this island. Mm-hmm. So they just start sort of shopping around the various like shipyards and I can't remember the name of it, the the the. It's not boatyards because where boats are made, the place where the the people who own boats, like where their offices are, there's a word for that, but I can't remember what it is. The boat shop. Yeah, they start going to the boat shop. A rich person's house. (laughs) That's really what it is, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They need to find someone rich enough to own some boats, and they find Squire Trelawney, who is in the book perhaps my favorite character. Okay, okay. And in the movie... They decide instead of giving us the traditional Squire Trelawney, who is this kind of confident, capable, a little bit kind of short tempered at times. Squire Trelawney is noted throughout the book as being the best uh, gunman on the entire crew. Squire Trelawney is a lot of fun. And instead of that, they're like, what if we made Squire Trelawney the rich 
stupid son of the real Squire Trelawney. Wouldn't that be funny? No. And they use the word, and listener, I apologize, I don't like this word, but that's how they describe it, halfwit. Uh-huh. Flossie's a mental illness joke this entire movie. He is, which I did not realize as a kid because it's Fozzie Bear. Like, ah, oh, it's Fozzie. He's always kind of goofy and dumb, whatever. Uh-huh. But when you watch it as an adult, you realize like, oh, no, he's he is absolutely a mental handicap joke. It's something. It is the second in a long line of just let's make jokes about disabilities in this movie. I was also today's years old, by the way, when I realized it, his invisible friend who lives in his finger uh, is named Mr. Bimbo and not Mr. Thimble. Oh, Growing wow. Up, I thought it was Mr. <laughs> Thimble because it's hard. That kind of makes sense because it's, it's, you know, on the finger. finger. Yeah. Yeah. But I watched the <laughs> subtitles today and realized it was Mr. Bimbo. And I was like, yeah, that makes that makes less sense, Mark. Yep. Yeah. Who knows? Don't. Yeah. <laughs> so Squire Trelawney conceived as what they wanted to do with this character initially, or at least what it sounds like from having watched the director's commentary and all of those things is the sort of initial envisioning of this character was just like the rich son of privilege. Like he's a moron because he's never had to think he was born to wealth and money and so he just makes terrible decisions with money because he never has to be responsible for those decisions, right? Okay. And I think that character, that idea works. The yeah. like young son of privilege, that that would fit. But instead, they decided to lean into this really broad comedic gag of Mr. Bimbo and as you say, uh Fozzie very much being just sort of an ableist joke. That was a bad choice. Not a, this is a movie of bad choices, Mark. This yep. is a movie full of bad choices. Yep, absolutely. Squire Trelawney goes from being a very capable member of the crew who really helps Jim and keeps things going uh, to being, well, what if we made him a you know son of privilege? Okay, funny joke. To yet one more removal of being, uh, but what if we made him just the consistent punchline of a really bad ableist joke huh wouldn't that be even better and the 90s said of course it would sure because that's all we know how to do (laughs) so he has money he has ships Uh and he knows long john silver a cook so he gets them a ship he arranges for a captain a captain who i believe has sailed for his father before captain smollett and he arranges for an entire crew relying heavily on the advice of ship's cook long john silver who i mean look i know people love this movie and i think people <laughs> love this movie because of long john silver this is where all of the good things come into this movie because tim curry as long john silver is incredible yeah. oh yeah but he's incredible. not in a good movie no <laughs> he's so perfectly suited to work with the muppets anyway because he's yeah. just like high camp off the walls in everything <laughs> that he does and yep. it may like so many good, I- like, on paper, Mark, I think this is a great idea for a movie. Honestly. Yep. But in and there execution, are moments where he's, he's uh, where Tim Curry gets to play opposite a puppet, mm-hmm. where yep. he does exceedingly well. I mean, not just like when he's playing opposite Gonzo and Rizzo. He's a lot of fun there. But like when he's playing opposite Polly or Clueless Morgan, like there's moments when he gets to play opposite those puppets. And it's beautiful. You just watch that and think, ah, this should be the whole movie. The whole movie should just be <laughs> Tim Curry as Long John Silver yelling at Muppet Pirates. Yes. Honestly, Mark, I like him even when he's talking to human, our, our human trash boy, <laughs> Kevin Bishop. Yeah. Like, I buy his half of the acting there. I yeah. believe he actually cares for this trash boy. <laughs> yeah, it's good. He's just so good. So the voyage gets underway. Mm-hmm. We're going to meet the crew in just a second. But first, we do start with Sailing for Adventure, which is the the road song of this movie. A lot of these movies have road songs, road trip songs. Uh-huh. That's what Sailing for Adventure is. It's fine. <laughs> like it's a it's a very good middle of the pack kind of you know it's a it's a muppet crowd song and if there's one of those they can be kind of fun like you know every character gets a line it's you know it's a, it's an ensemble performance mm-hmm. and it's 
good for what it is. It's fine. Is this before or after roll call? I believe this is immediately prior to roll call, although it, we okay. did skip over Samuel Arrow, which is uh, Sam Eagle playing the yes. first mate. Now, look, okay, Mark, Sam Eagle as a character, I feel like he would absolutely refuse to play the British in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do get a real good highlight of that in Christmas Carol when he says That's it good. is the American yeah. way. the character of Mr. Arrow in the book who I don't think ever gets a first name I think he's just Mr. Arrow is kind of a bumbling incompetent fool who does just get tricked by Long John Silver into drowning Okay, so why wasn't this Fosse? and when I say tricked into drowning I think I think memory serving just gets real real super drunk before getting in that lifeboat and like stumbles over the edge So Sam Eagle is a different take on the character, but it works pretty well for me. I like Sam Eagle as the sort of studious first mate. I enjoy him introducing Captain Smollett as a raging volcano who's dealing with torment that most men don't know. (laughs) Like, it's a silly little setup gag to introduce Kermit, but I enjoy that. That's a fun little. When we get moments that show the interplay between Smollett and Arrow in this movie, there's only a couple of them, but they're fun. Like, I... I believe that those two characters are having a good time together. Okay, it's fine. (laughs) All right, so now we are at Roll Call, which Mm -hmm. is just Kermit, uh, Smollett, I should say, and Arrow calling out the names of the crew and them all confirming that they're here. And it's just a list of, like, goofy pirate names to establish this is a seedy and cutthroat gang. Uh Uh-huh. I think the joke runs on a little long, although the Muppets do like themselves a a long joke. But I do enjoy Old Tom, Really Old Tom, and Dead Tom. That's the best joke in this, in that, (laughs) there. Old Tom, Really Old Tom, Dead Tom. The worst joke in this bit is sticky old ugly whatever face john and then it's a lady with a man voice that is mildly transphobic ah yeah okay i can see that i did not read that into it but yeah that makes sense the uh angel marie is the the puppet that accompanies that joke yes and then right afterwards it's angel marie and it's like yeah. an ugly man puppet which it's also like uh not, not, i mean like that's not what they're going for I right understand yeah that, but it can definitely be read that way and sure i think that's worth mentioning I did not process the idea that man voice was the joke, although I I definitely see that. Uh, I processed it more as an ugly joke, which is also not great. Right. (laughs) Which is also not great. But if that was just the joke, she wouldn't have a man voice. Right. Yep. No, that makes sense. It, uh, it fits with the, the Muppet framework of jokes, which is to stay, establish a premise and then visually show you something you did not expect. Like the Muppets love to do that, right? Like set up a comedy right. premise, deliver something different. But yeah, this is just uh shall we call it lazy, lazy joke writing? Very lazy. And to be <laughs> clear, when I say man joke, nobody can see me making quotation marks in the air, but I am doing sure. so. <laughs> so the better version of this joke exists already, mm-hmm. obviously, in the form of Sweetums. Yes. Sweetums is great. Yep, still great. Still great. One of the one of the high points of this movie. Yeah, they're just like the big he's just a big burly man with a heart of gold. That's like Yep. See how that hurts no one and is also <laughs> still plays on our preconceptions and doesn't punch down? That's what makes yep. that a good joke. Rest of this movie. <laughs> I know nobody in uh, the year of our Lord 2020 is reading like the deep Wizard of Oz books anymore. Uh-huh. But Sweetums is very reminiscent of an Oz character called the Shaggy Man. I always associate them. Mark, I feel like you're the only one who knows there's more than the Wizard of Oz. So that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. So we get through the roll call. Captain Smollett drags his like executive staff back to his office mm-hmm. to yell about how he was possibly given a crew of the like seediest band of untrustworthy ne'er-do-wells that you could imagine. Yes. And this is the one moment, maybe the only moment in this film where we get Smollett, Jim, Dr. Livesey, and Squire Trelawney all sort of together operating as a 
unit. Yeah. There's a brief moment maybe where where they're planning how to deal with the impending mutiny where they come back. But that's the big four from the book. And these four characters are sort of a like a makeshift family in the novels. Mm-hmm. And a big part of why I think this movie doesn't work rotates around how little they use all of these, in theory, really interesting characters. Okay, okay. Because this is really the only look we get at them as Jim's kind of emotional support structure. And obviously the movie touches on the arc of Jim, like as he grows to trust Long John Moore, he kind of drifts away, but it never establishes his connection. Like it does not feel important that he drifts away from Captain Smollett or Squire Trelawney because he hasn't built any emotional connection to yeah, any of them. There's, yeah, there's nothing there. Like it feels like they're trying to make us like, but he clearly is already more in line with Long John at this point. Yep. Yep. There's like nothing to fall away from. It already feels like his loyalties lie with the the bad man. And Long John via, you know, the performance of Curry is doing a real great job of bonding with Jim. Mm-hmm. Talking about what it's like to be uh, a kid who lost his dad, who has dreams of the sea, who wants to live up to a legacy that he can't understand. Uh-huh. All of that is injected with so much pathos. And I think it's entirely because, I mean, it's a, it's a good beat in the book, but in the film, it's entirely because Curry is really carrying just everybody's water in, in, in all movie. of these scenes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the whole movie, you know, in the movie that we're watching, he's carrying all of that. <laughs> and it does establish too, that Jim has a compass given to him by his father. That is the only thing he has, like the only physical connection he has back to his dad. Uh-huh. And there's a very good moment where Long John doesn't realize the importance of the compass and he's kind of dangling it over the water to tease Jim. Uh-huh. And Jim's begging him not to throw it. And that's fine. Like the performance of Kevin is is fine in that moment. But you can you can watch the emotion wash across Long John Silver's face. I rewound it and replayed it a couple of times in my most recent review. Because that single moment as Tim Curry shifts from like playful uncle mode to like, oh, there's something going on here. Like he shifts from teasing to concerned. Mm-hmm. And it's it's beautiful. Like just watching his face make that change is what a piece of acting. What a piece of nonverbal acting right there. Yeah. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk on this movie but basically the entire time is in the nicest way possible. But Curry's not the, a problem in this movie. Every time Curry's no. on screen, Curry is good in this movie. <laughs> this movie just does not live up to Curry. And so here's even in this here's exchange, the highlights early. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like in this exchange, he's doing great, and the kid is not acting good. At he did just bad giving acting. him nothing back. It's not. <laughs> yeah. No, please don't throw. Please no. I lo- please sir. No, that's my no. Please, it's my daddy's. And like, it's, it's not good. It's, I'm sorry, Kevin, but it wasn't good. And, but Tim Curry's response. Yeah. Like he's carrying the entire fucking movie. (laughs) So we're going to see a few scenes where he's growing closer and closer to Long John. We see him, of course, process that Long John Silver has one leg. Mm -hmm. There's a good joke from, from, Gonzo, where he says, count him one. Yeah, count him one. But he just sort of lets that wash over him because Long John's charismatic and funny and friendly and sort of filling in a bit of a father role that he hasn't had. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely that shitty uncle. He's like, yep, <laughs> yeah, sure is. <laughs> and as that relationship is growing, Jim is kind of distancing himself from Gonzo and Rizzo. Mm-hmm who eventually get themselves kidnapped by Clueless Morgan, Polly, and a third pirate who I forget. (laughs) Yeah, we see so little of, like, there's a whole ship of Muppets in this movie, Mark. And I feel like we spend so much time not with Muppets in this movie. Well, here's a teaser for my I Can Fix This. More time on the ship, less time on the island. Ooh. (laughs) So yeah, they get kidnapped. 
the kidnapping gets discovered very quickly, and those three pirates get themselves locked in the brig. And Long John does this very sort of over-the-top moralizing as he's lecturing those three pirates about, you know, the importance of, I don't know, honesty and whatever. (laughs) It's a really silly speech, but Tim Curry gives it a lot of life. Sure. And really, of course, this is performative on his part just to provide some distance between himself, who is in fact planning a mutiny, and the three dumb pirates who almost ruined it by getting caught. Yeah. (laughs) All of this is almost perfunctory. Like we're working through the mutiny plot just because it's there and we're killing time. I really, there should be emotional weight to all of this stuff that just is not there. Mm -hmm. And... This the sequence is effectively guns. Uh, Jim and Silver become friends. Gonzo and Rizzo get kidnapped. They lock away the pirates, and then Captain Smollett says there are obviously untrustworthy members of our crew. Jim, I'm going to need that treasure map. We have to lock it up. We can't risk you carrying it around. <laughs> and Jim eventually tells Silver, like, "Oh yeah, I did in fact have a treasure map. Stupid old Captain Smollett took it from me and locked it up in his cabin." Yeah, I wish, I mean, it's like you said, there's a lot of lack of payoff in this movie, and I feel like that would, yep. th- that didn't pay off. It was just, here's the thing that happened so we can get on with the rest of the movie. Yeah, the entire, we only get maybe 20 minutes on the boat, and it's largely given to two giant and unnecessary musical numbers, and then like, well, here's the plot that we have to fast forward through. So quick, do the kidnapping, lock up the map, and then... Long John's going to trick Samuel Arrow into giving him his keys so that he can go get the map. Mm-hmm. And he tells Samuel Arrow that one of the lifeboats is leaky. He offers to hold his hat and his keys while he tests it. And then Arrow just like drifts out to sea. Sure does. I mean, at what point have we gotten to cabin fever? Have we? It happens. I don't even remember where it happens somewhere in here. Yeah. And cabin fever is just a giant song where all of the Muppets sing about the fact that they're going insane because the wind has died and they're stuck on a boat. It, yeah, it's another, that whole song is just um, mental illness jokes as well. <laughs> I didn't read it that way, but I'm very happy to defer to your interpretation because cabin fever is from a sailor standpoint, right? It's a real thing. and It's effectively going stir crazy. Sure. And I suppose that is... Uh, by dint of the the description, perhaps it is just mental illness jokes. Like it's going stir crazy. It's going, uh, it, it's just extreme boredom because you're in a tiny ship and there's literally nothing to do. And this is a thing that sailors, especially in the days where you're entirely dependent on wind, talked about a ton. Like this comes up all of the time in old British naval stuff, in Master and Commander of the Book series. It's it's just a thing. So to me, it is very much like it is a song expressing the real thing of going stir crazy because you're trapped on a boat and it's silly and it's goofy and it's fun i did not read it as like we are all literally going insane but like i said i'm happy to defer to your interpretation on that because once you bring it up i said oh yeah okay i can i can see that read on it yeah i mean like they if it was just stir crazy and like we went like maybe a little more camp with it and a little less into like yeah I don't know. It it didn't land well for me. And there's like, I didn't write any of them down because I was too busy just feeling put upon by this entire movie. <laughs> uh, whenever I woke up early to watch it today and like, it, <laughs> I don't know. I know that there are some jokes in there that really didn't, that rubbed me the wrong way. I remember having that reaction to them. That's fair. And like I said, I'm very willing to defer to your reaction to it. This happened in the 90s, and so much of comedy in the 90s was, isn't mental illness hilarious? Yeah, that and, is very true. Like, it also helped the, the Batman animated series become the thing that everybody loved, because all he does is beat up mentally ill people. But, like, <laughs> hot takes. Everyone's going to hate me after this episode. Like, he hates <laughs> pirates and Batman? And the, my answer is yes. My answer is Yes. I don't hate Batman, but man, do I think Batman's way overblown. (laughs) So yeah, that song happens. Uh, The kind of perfunctory mutiny plot happens. Sam Arrow sails off instead of just drowning, which is, you know, what happens in the book. He just drowns. And then ultimately they realize a mutiny is coming. I think uh, Jim Gonzo and Rizzo overhear the plot. They tell Kermit Smollett. And Smollett says, effectively, we don't have a large enough group of people that we can trust. Like, we can't 
fight this mutiny, our best bet is going to be basically when we get to the island, let the pirates get off first and then we'll just sail away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which not a bad plan, honestly. Not terrible. But Long John is nobody's fool and he makes Jim go to the island with them. (laughs) You know, he's their insurance card. And as soon as they get off the boat, a small crew of pirates who remained take over. Yes. So Jim gets kidnapped. I think Smollett goes to look for him. And then Trelawney, Dr. Livesey, and his assistant are mutinied by a half dozen or so pirates that were still hanging out on the boat. (laughs) This gets us to Professional Pirate, which is, man, I love everything about this song. Even after my bemoaning pirates, this is, yeah, I think you're right in your notes where you say, hello, high point of the entire movie. (laughs) Like... Yeah, this is probably the high point of the entire movie because we have piratey things happening, finally. Yep. In this pirate movie about pirates doing pirate things. Um, So that's nice. And then we have, like, exactly what this movie should have been, which is Tim Curry doing great musical numbers with Muppets. Yeah. Tim Curry doing pirate camp. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's what we need. That's what we There's want. a moment very early on as the song is launching where two pirates lift him up and yes. he taps them and says, upstage, lad, this is my only number. And his delivery on that yep. alone reminds you that like, oh, yeah, he is one of the great camp performers of our time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, man, like, I really do wish we got more of this. And I wish that it didn't happen like over an hour into the movie where we're already on this island looking for treasure. Yep. Yep. There's a lot more that could have been done with all of this because we just get this song and Jim says, I don't care. I'm not helping you. To which Long John answers, that's fine. Give me your compass and I'm going to go. So I know, I know that this is a beat. Having read the book and watched other adaptations, this is a beat because we've established this compass as an important thing, right? But does does the book, does this movie seriously want me to believe that Long John Silver, greatest pirate captain alive after the death of flint travels without a compass it's something and like why do we need the compass when you taught the boy to like to steer by the stars like if you can navigate by by a star why like why do you need the (laughs) compass that you told him that he needs to learn how to do the thing with that it doesn't work it just becomes a a way it's like yeah there's a lot of payoff without setup which means it doesn't pay off Mm -hmm. in this movie and this is like set up for something they want to pay off but even getting here, like, there's no, like, not, it, it bad. Movie bad. Me talk yeah. good and movie bad. <laughs> the plot of this movie, as I've said before, it feels like they just identified the six or seven, like, key plot beats. You know, uh-huh. we have the the Silver and Jim relationship. We have the mutiny. We have Arrow's death. We have the treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. And they just, like, all right, well, that's it. There's our plot beats. We just, like, how do we get from one to the other? I don't know. Just make it happen. Just Very little attention was paid to the actual plot of this movie, which is fine. The Muppets have done that before, you know, that the Muppet plots are often just like individual kind of set pieces for them to hang jokes around. But here's the problem. In this movie, none of their jokes are very good. (laughs) Yeah, there's nary a good joke in the bunch. It's I'll say this about the movie. I did not dislike it as much this time through as I did when I watched it like a year or two ago. Mm hmm. It, it wasn't quite as boring as I thought it was a year or two ago. Again, whenever I was doing that, I was watching like a Muppet movie a day, sometimes more, just right, to get through yep. these. So like it really stuck out, and especially after Christmas Carol, it stuck out as sure, a stinker. Yep. But this time through, it was like, it's bad to find. But man, yeah, like where's the heart in this movie? Like That's the question. Hurry tries so hard to inject some in it, and when he's on screen, like it's there. Like, you can feel it's palpable. He's trying his damnedest, but yep, the rest of the movie does not serve what he is trying to do. That is very much my thesis on this movie, is that the Muppets had heart. They knew what they were about when it was Jim and Frank and, you know, the team. Muppet Christmas Carol found its heart and it lived there. This movie, the most of the Muppet team is, at least several of the key players are gone. The plot the writing does not seem to identify where the emotional impact of this movie is and when it does identify it it hangs it between two human characters and that's just like that's just not nothing about that works for a muppet movie 
by now we've shifted the soul of the Muppets onto Gonzo with Rizzo as his sidekick, which I like. I like those two. They're fun together. Their interactions in this movie are still very good, but they're not even framed in the center anymore. They're just sort of tagalongs. Yeah. We don't know what to do with them. There's just like the only place where there's supposed to be emotional impact is between Tim Curry and Kevin. What's his name? And those are two humans. You can't write a Muppet movie where all of the emotional payoff is between two humans. I don't, see, I don't even know if I agree with that. I, I think you could, and it'd still be good, but these, but not here, but not this one. <laughs> and you're right that, like, like I think Gonzo and Rizzo feel the most in character of everyone else in this movie. Yep. Everyone else just feels off to me, but not Gonzo and Rizzo. They still feel right. And I mean, like, they're yep, also absolutely. being performed by the people who made those characters. So, like, that's understandable. Yeah. But everyone that else. That is Dave Goles and Steve Whitmire, who are, you know, the original team still hanging mm-hmm. around. Everyone else just feels just a, a, like just a little off. Yep, I agree. Very much so. That This is the movie to me. Christmas Carol managed to live on the momentum of what was before. And I don't mean that like it was riding the coattails of other success. It's a very successful movie in its own right. But the momentum of the Muppets was still cresting at that point. Even though Jim had died, they like... They captured all of that momentum, and then I think the wave broke, and Treasure Island is the, unfortunately, and there's, as I've said, there's parts I like about Treasure Island. If it's on, I'll watch it. I enjoy a Muppet movie, and I enjoy enough of this one that I enjoy rewatching it. But it is it is the signifier that the landscape has changed, and the Muppets are probably never again going to be what they were. Now, we'll revisit this discussion when we get to the 2011 Muppet movie. Yes. But to me, this is the first one where you say like, oh, Dave Goals, Steve Whitmire, like they're doing yeoman's work here, but the wheels have very clearly come off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess we should finish out the plot since we're discussing our <laughs> takes on this already. But I don't want to. I do not want to talk about Benjamina Gunn at all. <laughs> That's understandable. I guess we do have to talk about her a little, though, because this is Miss Piggy. It's the Mm -hmm. big Miss Piggy reveal that we often get. And she's playing Benjamin Gunn, who is a pirate who is marooned on this island. But in the context of this movie, she is also she's Benjamina Gunn. Captain Smollett's long lost love who he left at the altar at some point, I guess they suddenly in the last like 20 minutes of this movie shoehorn a real weird love triangle in here between Long John Silver, Captain Smollett and Benjamina Gunn. I do not understand why this happened other than we always need Kermit and Piggy and a love story. It's as well thought out as the rest of this movie. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And Benjamin Gunn, uh, being Miss Piggy, has, I don't know how to even talk about this in any useful way, <laughs> but she seems to have become the sort of leader of the indigenous peoples of this island. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> This is a trope that we're still fighting with here in 2020, but back in 96, we were still in the era where we could just be like, oh yeah, they're savages. You know, those people with their face paint and their inability to speak English. Woof. Yep. And I love the Muppet Pigs. I love the Muppet Pigs. They come up in a lot of sketches and things. Very, very fun. But here we're just like, what if we just made fun of indigenous peoples for a bit? In that way that all properties did. Sure did. You know what? I did just realize, though, that those funny people who wear a lot of face paint and don't speak English could also be used to describe the French. So. Yep. (laughs) That's just an aside to hopefully bring a little levity to the fact that, woof, so much racism (laughs) happens here. Yeah, we don't need to spend a lot of time on them because they're not really on screen at all beyond uh, Miss Piggy's introduction. But I felt like we couldn't gloss over them and pretend like it wasn't there because it's real bad, as is basically every portrayal of indigenous people. I mean, almost up to and including now, but especially like pre-2000. It feels so... This is a weird thing, Mark, because this feels so on brand for Muppets, and yet... It feels like they could do so much better at the same time. Yep. I understand, given the cultural like climate, why they thought this was an okay thing to do. It doesn't make it an okay thing to do. Sure, absolutely. I understand how they got to this right. understanding and why they just 
decided to use pigs to get there. But how much how much yep. better and how much funnier would it be if they got there and it was just like just like a bed and breakfast or something? Like Yes. And the pigs the pigs were just like, Hi, how can we help you? Welcome yep. to our island. <laughs> What's what we were talking about subverting. earlier? The Muppets are a lot of fun when they are subverting expectations. Right. That's what they're very, very good at. And again, this movie is just lazy in a lot of ways. I don't like so many of the places where they could have done something clever. Instead, they just went with something easy. Yeah. And I mean, like, granted, if they subverted it there, we may very well be talking about how they whitewashed it. Sure. In the that's true. That I described. <laughs> but also, it still seems somehow better than the abject tour that we got. Yep. <laughs> and at this point, the movie just kind of like stumbles its way into a conclusion. Yeah. Also, Swedish Chef is there. Yep. Swedish Chef is there just to be there for a minute. What if they Long were John all Swedes? Mark. Oh, man. That'd be a blast. That'd be so good. <laughs> so Long John ties up Smollett and Benjamina. Uh-huh. Just so that they can sing a love song to each other. Sure. Jim, with the aid of Samuel Arrow, who has, along with his lifeboat, washed up on the beach, Mm -hmm. they reclaim the pirate ship. Sam Arrow pretends to be the ghost of Mr. Arrow, and they scare away the pirates. So they reclaim the ship. They save Smollett and Benjamina. And then we get the big showdown gun and sword fight on the beach. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's fine. It's it has echoes of the end of the Great Muppet Caper when you get just this sort of madcap keep away wrestling match. Uh And instead, it's a sword fight. But I don't know. There are bits of it that work really well. Mm -hmm. Sweetums makes a face turn that I really like. I like that you call it a face turn. Is that the technical term? (laughs) That's a that's a wrestling move. Right, right, right. I know that's where we get heel turn. I get that. I'm, I'm with you. Somehow I'm with you. And yet, I'd never heard face turn before. So, nice. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah, that's nice. Uh, There's a moment where Kermit is a real good swordsman who loses his grip on his sword. That's kind of fun. Slippery hands. But on the whole, it's... Yeah. (laughs) On the whole, it's kind of pedestrian for... Like you say, giant Muppet pirate sword fight. Mm -hmm. That seems like it should be the thing that the Muppets are the best at. Like, that's right in their wheelhouse. And, I mean, to be fair, it might be the best thing that they're at in this movie. Yeah, it's not bad. It's just, like, because none of the emotional stakes right. were ever raised to a place where you believe in it, it just, you just don't care a whole lot. The puppetry, very impressive. That's worth noting. Yeah, the green screen Kermit bouncing is certainly something to behold in yeah. 2020, but... <laughs> You know, it is what it is. They're, they're puppets sword fighting. It looks not unlike CGI Yoda when they finally like, oh, look, Yoda can jump around places. Isn't it great? Yoda can do somersault. It, I'm going to say that CGI Yoda looks better than those, honestly. Oh, <laughs> and the sword fight is kind of the end of it. They get back on the boat. Mm-hmm. Silver sneaks off with a little bit of treasure, which is in fact what happens in the book. Silver gets away with a little bit of treasure. Yeah. Uh, and then that's kind of it. That's kind of it. Is there anything I'm missing at the end here? I don't think so. I mean, it's... There's a running gag that pays off a little at the end here that Rizzo has turned the entire pirate vessel into a rat cruise liner. Oh, yeah, which we didn't mention because it's such a it's, a... it's a thing that's happening in the background throughout this movie. That, like, right. yeah, a rat cruise line is happening. It gets some decent mileage out of making fun of bougie cruise people. Yeah. For sure. So there's a little bit of like a, a payoff gag to that at the end, but that's really it. Like the movie just kind of, it tapers off, I guess. It gives us a little bit of resolution because Jim catches uh, Long John sneaking away and just lets him go. Yeah. But it's, it's I don't know. Like, again, the movie never really established much by way of emotional stakes. So I guess the ending is just going to kind of peter out. But right. Sort of what happens. Like it just, meh, we're done. You flubbed the setup, so of course there's no no way to really stick that landing. If you're going to belly flop, <laughs> right. it's the only thing you could have possibly done. All I'm saying is, listener, if you're sitting down to watch, you know, a an adaptation from the mid-90s, or, well, I don't, man, my years might be off. If you're, if you're sitting down to watch a 90s adaptation of Treasure Island on, yep. on Disney+, Plus, Treasure Planet's right there. And I know people don't Treasure like that Treasure Planet's right either. there. 
but I, I think it's the better of these two movies by a <laughs> wide margin. So before we get into our final thoughts and our ranking, the segment is called I Can Fix This. Instead, I'm going to say, I'm going to try to fix this. Can I fix this? Can I fix this? We've covered a lot of ground that I'm not going to repeat it at length. But a big part of the problem here is just that the wheels have come off, right? The the writing lets this movie down. A lot of the Muppet performances feel half a degree off. So I don't know that you can fix this without figuring out how to put back in the Muppets the heart that is missing. And I don't know that you can. That said, there's a couple of key things I think you could do to this movie to make it infinitely better. Number one, get rid of the kid. Okay. He, should, he, he doesn't need to be the emotional lead of this movie because he doesn't need to be in this movie. Don't think we need either go with the original premise of Gonzo and Rizzo being, you know, Jim and Hawkins, which lets you recenter the movie around your two performers who are still really in character, right? We still got Dave and, Steve, who are the best performers of the bunch right now, recenter them, give Gonzo the emotional beats of the movie. I think that's going to go a long way. Oh, man. I would so love Gonzo and Tim Curry having emotional heart. I really like that, actually. I think you could make the argument, if you don't like Gonzo doing it, for like Scooter or Walter, who are always kind of the, gee, Mr. Kids of the Muppets. Mm-hmm. obviously Walter didn't exist at this point, but I right. think it'd be really fine to reframe it around Gonzo, who is the emotional heart of the Muppets right now. Yeah. Like during this time period. Absolutely. And then my other big thing, aside from scrapping everything related to the Benjamina love story, which doesn't need to be in there. I think a key simple change that would really lift this is just swap piggy and Fozzie. Let Fozzie okay. be Benjamin Gunn, the weird eccentric loner who's been trapped on an Island for a long time. Mm-hmm. And let Piggy be Squire Trelawney, who is the sometimes ill-tempered, very excitable best fighter of the crew. And then yeah. you get Piggy and Kermit right beside each other. They're pals all through the movie. They spend a lot of time together within the context of the book anyway. If you want to, if you feel like you have to shoehorn in a romantic connection, they're right there together. And then that lets you restore what I think this book is missing, which is or this movie is missing, which is all the emotional stakes of the book. When you get... Trelawney, Dr. Livesy, Captain Smollett, and Jim in the form of Piggy, Kermit, Bunsen Honeydew, and Gonzo, when that's your main four, you can put the emotional heart back in. You can restore all of the emotional stakes of Jim caring about those characters, and the, all of the stuff on the boat, I think, works much, much better. Yeah. That said, you just like this movie just needs another couple of writing passes. It needs to not be lazy. It needs to remove all of the punching down. I hate using the phrase punching down because it's overused, but it needs to remove all of the punching down that it's doing. Mm-hmm. So really, it just like it needs to feel more like the Muppets. But to get there, I think if we recenter Gonzo and reframe the like the core team of Trelawney, Livesy, Smollett, and Jim as mostly Muppets. And we get more time with them at the center. I think it's going to feel more like a Muppet movie. I think a lot of those small changes would definitely help this movie be not so uh, arduous for me. I, <laughs> I can't stop thinking about an island full of Swedes and now Fozzie Bear just doing like stand up. Yep. Yep. Or like ventriloquist. Absolutely. What if he was a ventriloquist? That. So we still get Mr. Bimbo, but he's a puppet. Oh, that's perfect. And he's a puppet doing a puppet. And they're like, why would you do that? And he's like, well, you know, whenever you run out of ideas, you just start putting puppets in your act. Right. (laughs) I've been alone on the island for so long. I really do like the idea of the pigs as just like the pigs and the Swedish chef as just a collection of Swedes who established like some weird uh, island resort that no one ever comes to visit. Sue Weeds, you would say? 
<laughs> All right. I don't know that that fixes it again. Like the Muppets, this is just a, a dark era for the Muppets. They're Jim's gone. The, the sort of public perception of the Muppets has as the sort of like the Muppets were built as a very 70s cultural thing. And Jim pivoted them well into the 80s, but as the sort of like disaffected 90s took over, people were less inclined to just get on board with a bunch of silly puppets. And Jim wasn't around to sort of figure out how to spin them another quarter degree to make them. Because I think in theory, the Muppets are or can be evergreen. Like they can always be a mirror reflecting culture, but we never found that dial in the 90s. We never tuned it correctly. The 90s is just a tough era for the Muppets. Yeah, maybe not as tough as like the 2000s, but definitely, yeah, definitely not a great, not not their best. Yeah, I think in the 90s, they sort of lost focus. And then by the 2000s, and we'll get there when we're talking about Muppets from Space, the company wasn't as profitable, like they didn't have the kind of, without Jim, people weren't as willing to believe in the financial viability of the Muppets. And so there's almost just a complete lost decade in there. The 90s were growing pains for the Muppets. And the specific humor of the time did not lend itself to the Muppets the way that you really want it to. Like, in theory, there's that sort of, like, zaniness, like, madcap, manic energy to them that, like, should have translated into the 90s better than it did. But because, like, the sense of humor at the time was very baseline body functions. Yeah. Like, look at these weirdos. Uh, Like, it's missed the heart that it needed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we'll have a lot more of those thoughts, I think, when we get to Muppets from Space. Yeah, this is going to be, I'm so interested to revisit Muppets from Space. I have, and Muppets from Space is traditionally understood to be kind of the weak point of the franchise. Mm-hmm. I have a real soft spot in my heart for Muppets from Space, uh, in no small part because it features Bobo real heavily, and I love me oh, that bear very man. much. Yeah, God, I love <laughs> Bobo. He's so, he's so pure and sweet and wonderful. <laughs> I, lo- I want to be friends with Bobo the Bear, Mark. You have no idea. Yeah. He's so good. <laughs> so we'll get, and I'm excited to get there because that, like, the bridge from 90s Muppets to 2000s Muppets mm-hmm. is Muppets Tonight. And that'll be the first movie. Muppets Tonight is where the Muppets tried to find the new feel. Like, it's the post Jim Muppets, mm-hmm. where they, instead of just trying to mimic what had been done, they started creating new things. And Muppets from Space gives us a look at a new team, like a new gang has taken over. Bill Beretta has joined. uh, Brian Henson stepping forward more. We're going to see a little bit more of the new look Muppets. I'm excited to talk about it. I am as well. First, we have we have to rank these movies, though. Yeah, we do. We do. And it's it's silly to do this at this point, because (laughs) right now we've watched the three Jim Henson Muppet movies and this one. Right. So obviously this is. The last one, at least for me. This is number four of four. This is not a difficult decision by any means. Goodness. Uh, So, yeah, for me, this is very easily the worst Muppet movie that we have seen so far. It's not even a contest, Mark. Yep, yep. Uh, I would put number four, Muppets Treasure Island. Number three, Muppets Take Manhattan. Number two, The Muppet Movie. Number one, the Great Muppet Caper. Yep, and my list is the same except swapping one and two. I have the Muppet movie as my number one. As, you know, any human being with eyes and ears <laughs> and has the capability to perceive these movies should, but I, you know. That's all right. My list is what it is. Things are going to get interesting here, though, because upcoming, beyond just the very isolated Muppets from space, upcoming we've got Christmas Carol eventually and the 2011 Muppet movie. Those are both very good entries. I'm I'm excited to figure out where those belong. I believe most people who are listening to the show would stick Muppets from Space at the bottom of mm-hmm. all of these. And I think honestly, moving forward to like the second like half of this like Muppets thing that we're doing here is where things are really going to get interesting. Yep. I think our list could end up being like very spicy takes for a lot yeah, of Yeah, I'm very, very curious to see where we land on that. Uh, and boy, I'm curious to leading into what's next. I'm real curious to watch this next movie because I it's been a bit for me 
Mm-hmm. And I have no idea. I have zero expectations for a guy who's watched all of the Muppet movies minimum of half a dozen times each. I have zero expectations for where this one's going to land. Where are we going next? Well, up next, we're blasting off, Mark, with Muppets from Space. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at the Third One Sucks or email us at the Third One Sucks at gmail.com, where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the the number three RD One Sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. I mean, Vikings are still, but I still like Vikings sure. better than pirates. Vikings <laughs> are better pirates, y'all. Anyway, um, growing up, Long John Silver's was one of my favorite places to eat food. <laughs> ah, nice. And well into my like teenage years, mm-hmm. I would do this thing where I would, as a shitty white like kid, sure. drive through their drive-thru and order just crumbs, which is all oh, of the batter yeah. runoff. Yep, and we called them the crunchies. The crunchies yes. are so good. And so I would just order the crumbs in the water. It's nice. Just like, <laughs> If you're wondering why I have digestive issues, it's because I grew up (laughs) eating Long John Sobers my entire life.